You're listening to the Promised Church's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Aaron. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Welcome. If you didn't know, I'm not Eric Gilmore. Uh, he, he unfortunately could not make it here today uh, due to, if we could turn the house lights up a little bit, due to his plane literally not starting. Uh, so uh, he will be here the end of April, I think, last weekend in April. So mark that on your calendars. The, the uh, conference we're going to have yesterday will be had that uh, last Saturday of April. Amen? Amen. This morning we're going to jump right in to the Word of God. And uh, we're going to read out of Exodus chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, quickly turn there. If not, you can read it up on the screen. Exodus chapter 3 says this. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Today we're going to begin a new series called The Holy Spirit. And today is going to be part one, which is The Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit. In evangelical Christian circles, there's basically two types of churches. One is a spirit-filled church and the other is a non-spirit-filled church. One type of church believes that the Holy Spirit is for today, that the Bible, when it talks about you walking in power in the Holy Spirit, that wasn't just for people who lived in Acts or in the New Testament time period, but it's for you today. And then the other side would be like, there is no Holy Spirit today. It is weird and you should not partake in it. Is anybody here thankful that you come to a spirit-filled church that believes the word of God and all of it? We're a full gospel, we're a full Bible type of church and what the Bible says we believe. We don't pick and choose. Unfortunately, in a spirit-filled church, there are generally uh, a couple of problems that exist because we believe We've been taught or trained that speaking in tongues is the pinnacle of the Holy Spirit filling you. We believe that the Holy Spirit, when he fills you, what he fills you for is to pray in the Holy Ghost. There is two problems with that perspective. There's two problems with believing that the pinnacle of the Holy Spirit filling you is a spiritual language. Problem number one is this. You can pray in the Holy Spirit and never know God. The Bible talks about you can cast demons out in his name. You can heal the sick in his name. You can prophesy in his name. But he'll say, depart from me for I never knew you. We got a lot of tongue-talking Christians that don't know God, but they've got a spiritual language. And they're fooling themselves and everybody around them that they know the Lord when they really don't. So you can pray in a tongue that no one knows what it means and still never know God. That's problem number one. Problem number two is this. Is that you can pray in the Holy Spirit, pray in a spiritual language and think, this is it. This is why I have the Holy Spirit. Problem number one is you think, what did I say? What was problem number one? There's a lot of problems. (laughs) Problem number one is you can pray in the Holy Spirit and not know God. Problem number two is you can think that this is all that the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is God. If the Holy Spirit were an alphabet, one of the letters would be praying in the Holy Spirit. If he had bones in his body, one bone would be speaking in tongues. Praying in the Holy Spirit is but an ounce, a part of who he is. To say that the Holy Spirit filling you is simply having a spiritual language is minimizing the power and the essence of who he is. He is the great I am. He is. While he is the Holy Spirit individually, he is part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, in the body of Christ at times and in the world, the Holy Spirit has been misinterpreted, has been misrepresented, and unfortunately, thus has been misunderstood. In John chapter 14, verse 17, it says, The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him 
nor knows him. The world and often the church does not know the Holy Spirit. Because we approach with a mental, with a humanistic type of approach to try to understand the Holy Spirit in a box that he was never meant to be in. John 14, 27 says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. The peace is the Holy Spirit. Amen. In a couple of weeks, and five weeks now, I think it's Easter, very early this year. And on Easter... We all know what we're celebrating. We're celebrating that Jesus hung on the cross. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was flogged. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head and offered up his spirit for you. He hung on the cross to take the sins of the world. He went into the grave. He went down to hell and he took the keys from the devil and he defeated death, hell, and the grave for you and for me. That is what we celebrate on Easter. And he rose again. And when he rose again, he went and hung out with some of his buddies and some of his friends. And he he walked with them and he talked with them for a little while. And then he ascended up to heaven and he said to them, it is better for you that I go. Which doesn't make a lot of sense to me because if Jesus were here right now, I would assume all the problems in the world would be finished. We'd live in a perfect world. But he says, it's better for you that I go. Because there is one who is coming after me that you need. And 50 days later, a a group of people were in an upper room in a building. And the Holy Spirit ascended upon them. And the place shook. And tongues of fire went onto their heads. And they began to pray in unknown languages. And the church was birthed by a move of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that we need another move of the Holy Spirit in the church today to birth a fresh move of God. But we must understand the Holy Spirit. We must know the Holy Spirit. We must know who he is and who he is not. And we must not limit him. I feel like sometimes we say things and we don't even understand what we're saying. The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is a Holy Spirit. He describes his Spirit as holy. In order to understand the Holy Spirit, you must understand holiness. And often you will have a hard time with the Holy Spirit if you have a hard time with holiness. You will oftentimes have a hard time with the Holy Spirit if you have a hard time with holiness. In scripture, the word holy is referenced 700 times. Holiness is referenced 190. You're welcome. I didn't go to Bible college. I know how to Google. Almost 900 times the Holy Spirit is, or holiness or holy is referenced in scripture. Now here you go. The Greek word, come on somebody. The Greek word is Kadesh. I think that's how you say it. And it means this. Set apart, consecrated, the most holy. God is set apart. There is no one like him. He is capital G God and everything else is lowercase g. What is he set apart from? Everything. Everything. And he is calling unto himself a people who are set apart from everything as well and who are only devoted to him. This is why in 1 Peter he says, be holy as I am holy. He says, be holy as I am holy. This is your mindset. This is how you think. This is how you talk. This is the things you watch. This is how you you act and how you raise a family and how you go to work. This is everything. Be holy as I am holy. And the process of holiness is a life devoted to the Lord and set apart from the world. That, that unfortunately at times is something we don't understand. And I love this passage of scripture. We've talked about it a number of times where Moses has this conversation with the Lord that says, show me your glory. Before it gets to that part in Exodus 33, it says this, teach me your ways so that I may know you. Teach me your ways so that I may know you. Oftentimes we're like, God, I just want to know you. We don't learn about him. We're going to learn about the Holy Spirit so he can teach us his ways, so we can know him. To know the Holy Spirit, you must know holiness. 
The Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit. He is unlike any other spirit. He is set apart from any other spirit. And this is exactly why in this church we say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We don't invite you into the room. You own the room. This is your church. And when he comes in, when he comes in, we want every other spirit to go. So if you walked in with the spirit this morning, we say, religious spirit, leave. Spirit of fear, leave. And Holy Spirit, you are the only spirit welcome into this room. He is set apart from every other spirit. There are other things that are holy. If you look at your Bible, what's it called? The Holy Bible. This is a holy book. You can read a lot of other books. You can read it a thousand times, but it'll never change your life. You could read the story of Moby Dick, which is about a big fish, a thousand times, but it'll never change your life. But you could read the book of Jonah, which is about another big fish, and it could change your life in one time. Because it is a holy book set apart. There is nothing like it. And if you have a hard time understanding what's in the Bible, you should ask the author. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, pastor, I thought the author was Moses or it was Peter or it was Paul. See, if you're taking notes right now, you're using a pen. That pen, saying that Moses wrote the Bible or Peter Paul is like saying the pen is writing your notes. They are instruments of the Holy Spirit. That pen is an instrument in your hand to write notes on a page. The Holy Spirit breathed the words on these pages through an instrument called man that you are reading today. And it is a book unlike any other book. And if you have a hard time understanding it, stop Googling it and start asking the author. You should be reading the Bible more than you're reading books about the Bible. You should be studying this word. Well, I don't know, Pastor, what God is saying to me today. I don't know what he's saying in the world today. Read the Bible. This book will tell you exactly what he is saying. Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What else is holy? Jerusalem is a holy city. Jerusalem is holy. Jesus died in Jerusalem. He rose again in Jerusalem. He ascended to heaven in Jerusalem. And in the last days, he is coming back to Jerusalem. He is returning there. He is not returning to Woodland. As awesome as Woodland is, he is not returning to Woodland. He is returning to a city set apart. Did you know that people, when they go to Jerusalem, they'll go to the Sea of Galilee and they'll take little stones out of the sea because Jesus was there in the sea and they'll take them back and they'll, no one does that to Horseshoe Lake. Like no one's going with the duck poop, grabbing a rock and being like, guess what? I got a rock from where? Horseshoe Lake in Woodland. No one cares because Horseshoe Lake is not set apart. It is not a holy city, but Jerusalem is a holy city. The Bible calls us saints, which means holy ones, that we are to be set apart from anything that is not of him. What else is holy in scriptures? The Sabbath. The Sabbath is holy. The Bible talks about how Jesus, or sorry, God created everything in six days. And on seventh day, he rested to show you and I an example of what it looks like in our lives to take a Sabbath, to take a day. And that Sabbath, man was not created for Sabbath, but Sabbath was created for man. That God created it as a holy day for you so that you would be strong and built up so that you could stomp hell for six days and on the seventh day you could rest and be filled up to go do it again. It is a holy day. Did you know the Sabbath is the only commandment that Christians willingly break? It's the only commandment. We aren't, you know, what's another, like murder? We're not like, you know, that was part of the law. My neighbor ticked me off. Let's go murder somebody. Aaron out of context. We don't do that with any other commandment. Sabbath is the only commandment that we do that with, where we willfully break a commandment of the Lord, which is honor the Sabbath, for it is a holy day. What else is holy is tithe. Tithing is holy to the Lord. It says in Leviticus, 2730, a tithe of everything, of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. The tithe, 10% of what you have, is holy to the Lord. Which, why would you take what belongs to the Lord and stick it into your account? That is what people do, believers do, when they do not tithe to the Lord because it belongs to him. It is holy. It is set apart from anything else. 
See, holiness is not old-fashioned. Holiness is not a religious, it's not a trademark of a denomination. Holiness is how God not only is, was, and always will be, but how he calls us to live. Holiness is for today. And practically speaking, how do you live that in your life? And I would assume that there are parts of your life that need to be set apart. There are parts of your life that you have not set apart. And we think that there's things that are going to provide fulfillment in our lives when the only fulfillment we can get is from the Lord. And so we'll look to that addiction or we'll look to that career or we'll look to the, the money or the promotion or, or whatever it may be. And the family, the children, as if that's going to fulfill us, but we will still be left empty. Isn't it interesting that every time you think that something is going to be like, like f- to fulfill you, all of a sudden you get it and you realize, oh, I need more. You know what I'm talking about? Like when, you're, like when you're a teenager and you're like, when I can drive. And when I get my first girlfriend. And then you get a little older and when I graduate. And you get a little older and then when I finally marry somebody. Get a little older and then when it's, when it's I finally get a career. Get a little older and when, it's, when I finally have children. A little older when my children finally move out. And then you get a little older when I finally retire. And every time you get to that next thing, it's like you're still left wanting more. It never fulfills you. It never fulfills you. Holiness is what fulfills you because it opens the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. Holiness is what fulfills you. You can't dwell in a holy place without holiness. You cannot dwell in a holy place without holiness. T-shirt. Hashtag. (laughs) Thank you. I don't even know what I'm saying now. That was really rude. I'm going to read a scripture verse right now. (laughs) Hebrews. I'm just joking. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Without holiness... No one will see the Lord. So we talk about all we want. Wow, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. I can't be holy. I can't be perfect. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. No one will see him. Why did you come to church today? It wasn't to attend church. It was to be with him. How will you be with him? Without holiness, you will not be with him. To know the Holy Spirit is to know holiness. Revelations chapter 4, we, we, we sang about it even today during worship. Everybody's gathered around the throne room. And what do they say? Sing, holy, 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 morning, afternoon, and evening, over and over. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Jesus teaches us how to pray. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your thy name or holy is your name every time when i when i wake up in the morning and i spend time with the lord i always start off with holy holy is the lord worthy are you jesus before i say anything before i worship before i pray before i do anything else holy are you jesus i get my eyes off of what i'm dealing with and i get them back onto him holy are you jesus if you're wondering how do i begin to pray If all you did was just say, holy are you, Jesus, you've done it. You've done it. It will be very hard for you to pray if you do not have holiness in your life. It will be like pulling teeth for you to pray because you won't have grace for it because you're living a life that is not holy. And you will be declaring fleshly prayers. When you live a life of holiness, you begin to pray for what he's praying for. When you live a life of no holiness, you're praying prayers that are all about you. And you'll wonder, why are my prayers not getting to the throne room of the Lord? Proverbs says that he turns his ears away from the ungodly. He turns his ears away. Write that down if you haven't written anything else down yet. He turns his ears away from the ungodly. If you struggle with holiness, you'll struggle with prayer. Mark 1, verse 24 says this. What do you want with us? These are demons talking. These are demons. 
What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Even the demons know that he is holy. The Holy Spirit is a holy spirit. He is holy. Back to the scripture that I read at the very beginning. Let me read it again for you before I do. Let me just give you a synopsis of where we're at in the journey of Moses. As Moses, as you know, was born in Egypt to his parents. And at that time, Pharaoh was going to kill all the newborn babies. So his mom takes Moses, places him in a basket, puts him on the Nile River, and sends him off. Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses, raises raises him as her own, and he spends 40 years in Egypt. Then he leaves Egypt, he flees Egypt, and he goes and spends another 40 years on the backside of the desert as a shepherd. As he's there, he's out shepherding his flock, and this is where we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 3. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush, and so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight, which is, I think, what we would all do in that moment. (laughs) That bush is not being consumed. I should go look at it. Sometimes I read scripture and I'm like, duh. (laughs) Isn't there one translation that says he was going to pass it by? I think there's a part, like, how, dude, I'd be like fixated. I'd call my friends. Verse 4 says, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. The Bible says that it was an angel of the Lord. In scripture, oftentimes when it says an angel of the Lord, it's actually referring to Jesus. In, in Genesis 32, it says Jacob was wrestling with an angel. In Isaiah 63, it says that that angel was actually the Lord. And we know this to be true because an angel would never say, I am the Lord. Only Jesus would say, I am the Lord. And so what we're, we have happening is, is that, that burning bush is not just an angel, but it is actually Jesus meeting and speaking with Moses. See, in, in Matthew 3, Verse 11, John the Baptist is saying that there is another one who's coming after me who's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit and fire. In fact, in the upper room, as the building is shaking, what appeared at the top of their heads? Flames of fire. God is not a tiny flame, this little light of mine. He is a fire, an all-consuming fire. And I believe that we need another move of the real fire of the Holy Spirit, not just in a corporate setting, but in your life. That fire, as Nathaniel read this morning, that purifies you, that refines you. In our generation, our world, our nation today doesn't need another service that's perfectly planned out by humans and men and women, but it's it's submitted to the Holy Spirit and he runs the meeting where sinners come in and still leave sinners, where those who are sick, sick leave still sick, where those who are broken still leave broken. That's not what the world needs more of. They need a place where when people come, they experience the fire of God, the presence of the Lord, but he comes to places that live holy lives. And we can pray all we want. You can pray all you want for the Holy Spirit to fill you. But without holiness, he won't stay. And you'll wonder why your life continues to go through the cycle and the process of, I pray for the Holy Spirit, I get a feeling, I get an experience, and then all of a sudden I'm in the same muck again, again, and again. Because without holiness, he can't stay. The Holy Spirit resides in a holy place. And I researched fire because that's apparently what I'm doing in this message. Greek words, how many times words appear in the Bible. And I looked at the Forestry Service website. That, Scott, is how you know your service is going to be good when you read from the Forestry Service website. And when you look at a controlled fire Come on, Levi, you know I I got a little extra chest hairs when I read that website. When you look at a controlled fire, it actually removes the thorns and the thistles from the ground so that the ground will be producing better. Let me read you something. A prescribed fire 
reduces hazardous fuels and protects persons, communities from extreme fire. Let me say it another way. Prescribed fire for you protects you from extreme fires of hell. It minimizes the spread of pests, insects, and disease. Pests called demons. Insects called spirits and principalities that were never meant to be in you. It removes unwanted species from the land. It provides food from the game. This is a fire that destroys in your eyes. It provides food for the game. It improves habitats for threatened and endangered species. Said another way, a prescribed fire for you improves the habitat for a weak believer. Threatened and endangered species that are about ready to lose their life. A prescribed fire will come in and remove the impurities from the land in your heart so that you can grow and be strong again. And watch this. It promotes growth on trees, wildflowers, and plants. See, you thought the fire was going to harm you. You got uncomfortable with the fire because you thought it was weird. But that fire is actually God coming to help you. And the very thing you thought was going to hurt you is actually what is going to allow you to grow and be stronger than you've ever been, ever been before. My children, whenever they get hurt at home, my wife is an ointment person. She's also an essential oil person, which I don't believe in, but y'all do. So we keep spending money. Praise God. Quit calling my wife if you've got oil to sell. Leave us alone. It smells like oregano every other day in my house. I don't even know what it does, but I get hungry when I smell it. We've got diffusers. It's just spraying, just water. It's not even, doesn't work. It's all in your mind. Just kidding. If anybody sells oil, I'm sorry. But whenever my kids get hurt, or like an abrasion or a scratch on their arm, they'll always come to my wife. That's funny. <laughs> They'll come to one of us, but it'll probably be my wife and, and she'll grab an ointment or some type of rub to put on their, on their owie. And now she'll do this every time, but every time they get hurt, they forget what happened last time. And they'd be like, don't do it, mom. It's going to hurt. Like, don't touch me with that ointment because it's going to sting. It's going to be painful. And we don't understand or they don't remember what happened last time. So after some coaxing, finally, they'll be like, okay, you can do it. She'll apply it and be like, oh, that feels so good. It's soothing. It's cool. And then they'll put the Band-Aid on and the next morning, they'll take the Band-Aid off and they'll see how it's healed because of the ointment that she applied. The very thing that they thought was going to hurt them is actually what heals them. And see, for us, it's no different. The very fire that you've been scared of and running from and felt uncomfortable by and resisting is the very fire that you need in your life to grow and to be who God has called you to be. The very fire that you've been resisting and running from is the fire from God designed for you. And if you're struggling in your faith, if you're weak, if you're struggling with doubt and you're shaky, there is nothing better for you than a prescribed fire from the Holy Spirit. You need it desperately. Let me say this. Fire is not relationship. Fire is not relationship. Fire got Moses's attention. Holiness is relationship. I'm going to say it again. I'm not trying to, sometimes preachers say things that like just sound cool and everybody's like, wow, we don't really know what it means. Let me say one more time. Fire. What is fire? I think many of us in this room would describe that as expression, intensity, Um, surrendering your life, laying it down before the Lord, um, telling people about Jesus, being a light to the world. Fire is not relationship. Holiness is relationship. If we're not careful in an environment like this, we will confuse the two. And we will begin to think that praying for somebody, telling somebody about doing jad with somebody, coming to church, tithing, Whatever it may be, that that is relationship. That is not. 
that don't tell me about the person that got saved through Jad when you're looking at porn and struggling in your marriage and you have a spirit of anger about you and you don't surrender your life to the Lord. I don't want to hear about it because that's not relationship. That's just an activity. And God's grace will cover that and he'll use you in your sin to still bless somebody and love somebody. But don't tell me that that's relationship. Holiness is relationship. You're just doing activity. And those are those types of people who will get there at the end of days and say, but God, I prophesied in your name and I healed the sick in in your name and you'll you'll say I spoke in tongues in your name and he'll say depart from me for I never knew you the fire yelling and screaming during worship and dancing and running around and falling on the floor and doing whatever the shakes are that the Holy Spirit that is not relationship it also doesn't mean it's wrong okay some of the things that you get irritated by some of the things that makes you feel uncomfortable it's not wrong But it isn't relationship. Don't confuse the two. What happens is we've assumed that that must mean you know God. And so what we do is we do those things first rather than know God. And we think we know him when really we're just attracted to fire. And we'll imitate fire. We'll imitate what it looks like to be on fire, but we'll never know God. Fire got Moses' attention. Holiness was the relationship. And so the Lord says to Moses, take off your shoes. See, in the presence of the Lord, it's very easy to hear his voice. You'll hear his voice through a song. you hear his voice through random things. It's very easy to hear. The, I just can't hear God. I just don't know what he's saying. Get in his presence and you will know him. Well, I'm just busy. That's why you don't hear him. Because you don't take time to get in the presence of God. As if God owes you anything to fit in your schedule. I mean, I know we laugh, but we think it. Like, we just don't verbalize it. Like, oh, God understands. He doesn't because he is holy and set apart from anything else. And he is thinking, how could you possibly think that's more important than me? It's very easy to hear the voice of God in his presence. And he says to Moses, take off your shoes. Why did he say take off your shoes? Because it was a sign of honor. Yes. But see, the bottoms of your feet are very sensitive. You ever gotten up in the middle of the night and your loving children play with Legos next to your bed? And you're like, so help me God, I will throw every piece of Lego out in my house. Or you walk outside in gravel. For those of us who are normal and don't normally walk outside on gravel, we don't have calluses on our feet. And you walk tenderly. Because the bottoms of your feet are sensitive. So he said, remove your shoes. Why? So that you will have no fleshly thing protecting your sensitivity. Let me explain what I mean again. There's another pastorism where you're like, oh, what the heck does that mean? When, did somebody say agreed? That was funny. <laughs> agreed. We didn't know what you meant. When you're, that was great. Make a shirt. <laughs> uh, squirrel. When you are in the presence of God, you will, be, have a, you will have a sensitivity to holiness. When you house the presence of God, you will have a sensitivity to holiness. Things that you used to be able to do, you can't do anymore. Not because you can't do them, but because your spirit doesn't want you to. Things that you used to be able to say, you can't say anymore. Conversations you used to engage in. Things you used to put into your body, you won't be able to do anymore because you're too sensitive. Your spirit is like, I can't do that anymore. I can't eat that way. Hello, somebody. I've got to put good food in my body. i got to eat right. I've got to take care of the temple that the Lord has given me. I can't treat my boss or my coworkers that way. I can't have conversations like that. I can't watch videos like that anymore. I've got to talk, watch videos that if Jesus were sitting with me, come on, the whole what would Jesus do if he were sitting with you in your life would you be proud of your life but when the Holy Spirit is in you you have a sensitivity to holiness and things that are not holy you will not be able to be around well Aaron how will I be able to be around people who are unholy because you'll live like Jesus and you will love them and you'll be in the world but not of the world so he says take your shoes off In verse 5, he says, For the place where you are standing is holy ground. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. 
He says, do not come any closer. Take your shoes off for the place where you are standing is holy. The earth right there, the dirt. Picture it for a moment. Dirt where Moses was standing was holy. That dirt was nothing special, was ordinary. What else comes from dirt? God reached down from heaven and formed you out of dirt, out of the dust of the earth. In Joshua, let me give you the reference here. In Joshua, I forget where it is. Joshua, I think it's chapter 5. The Lord says to Joshua, take your shoes off for the place where you're standing is holy. And I believe it's in Acts chapter 7, the same thing. God takes dirt and makes it holy. What is he showing you? That if he can take ordinary dirt and make it holy, he can take the dirt in your life and make it holy. But pastor, you don't understand. You don't understand my past. You don't understand my issues. You don't understand the addictions I have, the things that even my my spouse doesn't know about. You don't understand the things that I deal with on a regular basis, the doubt I even have, the faith that my, my faith is shaky. You don't understand all the problems I'm experiencing in my life. And he says, if I can turn ordinary dirt into holy ground, I can turn the dirt in your life into holy dirt. He is in the business of taking broken people and making them whole again. Every, every head in this church, bow, bow your head and close your eyes. If you're watching, do the same. Just close your eyes. How, how do you give yourself to be holy? How do you create a place that the Holy Spirit can dwell? By repenting of what sins are in your life. A spirit of repentance removes what once was there and says, Jesus, Holy Spirit, come and dwell within me. Remove the garbage. Come and make me clean. Send your refiner's fire and come and and bring that prescribed fire for my life. Remove the thistles and the thorns and God, make me a new creation for you to dwell in. Let me keep your eyes closed. Let me say this to you. Sin separates you from God. I want you to listen because you've heard, if you've been in church, you've heard a statement very contrary to that. You've heard this, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And you are very true. But sin separates you from his presence. Sin separates you from his presence. Let me read it for you. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says this, your iniquities or your sins have separated you from your God. How do I make my dirty ground? How do I make my dirt holy again? By presenting it to the Lord to say, God, if you can make that dirt holy, you can make my life holy. If you've been there and been like, Holy Spirit, I just want to feel you. I want you to feel my life. I want you to come in. He's looking for a vessel that is clean and that is holy so that he can stay there. So he doesn't just come for a visit. If you've had visits from the Holy Spirit, but you want him to stay. You must create a place that is holy. And if you've confused this to think that if I just speak in tongues, I've I've experienced the Holy Spirit, you are wrong. Speaking in tongues is but an ounce, a fraction of who the Holy Spirit is. He is God who is designed to live within you, the Holy Spirit of God who only resides in holy places. He may visit you, he may touch you for a moment, but to stay, he must have a holy place to reside in. So what are areas in your life that you need to set apart? What are areas in your life that you need to give to Him that you've allowed compromise in, that you've allowed things of this world to come in and to plague you and you've reasoned them away to say, well, God's just big enough. The addiction that you've been living with, drinking too much, putting that needle in your arm, watching that website, watching those videos, doing those things with other people, uh, being being addicted to uh, being angry, and it's like it's almost like a drug, and it's just how I respond or whatever it is. Will you surrender it? Our desire here at the Promise Church is to create a place where the Holy Spirit stays. He stays in a place that is holy. Will you be set apart? Will you be a people of holiness? Will we be a church that is holy?
you stand with me? Everybody in this room, probably as I'm speaking, can be like, man, I, I need to be holy. There's areas in your life that you, you realize I need to be set apart. And some of you may be thinking, it's impossible. I, I'm not perfect. You're right. You're not. I'm not. But he says, be holy as I am holy. And I, my desire as an imperfect person who is still in process is to say, God, every area of my life that is not of you, remove it from me. Search my heart, O oh God, and show me where there is wickedness in me. Every area of doubt, every area of condemnation or shame, fear, pride, reveal it to me that I may be a place where you want to stay. That to receive the Holy Spirit, you must live a life of holiness. And what we're going to do is we're just going to begin to worship. And I want to create just an opportunity for you. You don't even need to respond. You're welcome to stay in your seat. You're welcome to come forward. You're welcome to kneel. But I want to give an opportunity. If you feel like you have been living a life that has not been holy, if you feel like there's areas in your life of compromise and you need to repent, right now is the time to do that. Right now. If you're wondering, how do I receive the Holy Spirit? You ask him to come. And he is faithful to come. The Bible says the kingdom of God is at hand. He is right there at a hand's grasp for you to ask and you will receive. Well, Aaron, I've been in moments like this before. I've been in church services like this before where I just watch other people experience things and they get weird and they get crazy. They start saying things in another language I don't understand. It isn't about them. It's not about your experiences. It's not about the person sitting next to you. The Bible, whether it's, it's whether you believe it or not. And if you believe what Scripture says, then it doesn't matter how somebody else interprets it. You just say, God, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you. Will you fill me? It's not about looking a certain way. It's not about acting a certain way. It's not about responding a certain way. It's about your heart. And it's not about trying to please me or anybody else around you, including your spouse. It's just saying, will you be desperate enough to receive him? And will you surrender what's in your life and repent so that he can come and fill you? So everybody in this room, just lift your hands to heaven. We're just going to begin to worship the Lord. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to begin to touch some of you. He's going to begin to speak to some of you. He's going to begin to ask some of you to repent. He's going to begin to reveal things in your life that have been consumed of the world that you need to set apart and lay at the altar. If you need to come forward to lay them at the altar of the Lord, go ahead and do that. If you need to begin to just kneel where you're at, go ahead and do that. Whatever it may be. But everybody in this room, let's just begin to worship the Lord. Let's begin to declare His holiness. Declare that He is the great I am to begin to offer ourselves on the altar to say God come and consume me the fire of God come and consume me for you are all I desire come on everybody in this room just sing this holy is the Lord holy is the Lord let's sing it together
Come on, begin just to worship the Lord with everything you have this morning. Begin to declare His holiness. Begin to set your eyes upon the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come on, open yourself to the Lord this morning. Let Him fill you. Let the fire of God fill you this morning. Put your eyes upon Him.
Oh. 